Welcome. This is the Seek Coach podcast, a podcast exploring the Seek principles and how to live them in the 21st century. Yes. So, by even, and again, it goes back to the difference between anti racism and not being racist. Not being racist is things like, I don't see color. Well, you obviously do see color, and research says that children start to understand and recognize racial differences at like age three, you know? So it's like, and even if you go further back, they recognize facial expressions and who's their mom and things like that. So they obviously do see difference, but we need to start having these conversations, not in insular packages, as in you and me go in and talk to one classroom. It is about actually, are the teachers going to be up for this conversation as well? Yes. And when it comes to anti-blackness and anti-racism, I want the teachers to have the learning first. And again, that, that means pushing your ego to the side because as a teacher, and it's usually professionals that really struggle with these conversations, really struggle with this learning because you are basically going to the fundamental belief systems of a person and it becomes about a good and bad person. And that's not what we're talking about we're not saying a good person is not racist. We're saying all people are systemically racist because of the systems that are are, are part of society. And when you look at authority and power, you know, one of the first reflective questions that I ever give anybody that's coming to anti-racism work is, I want you to start looking within your community, start noticing who is sitting at the top tables in your schools, in your offices, in your local governments, start looking at that. Then start to look at what you're reading. Who are your favorite authors? What are your favorite films? Mm -hmm. Then it becomes really apparent where the lens is coming from, where you are being influenced. And this is part of decolonizing the curriculum. This is part of decolonizing your reading lists, your, what you're watching, you know, and it's, it becomes very apparent if you are not reading and learning from a vast amount of people, then you're kind of living in your comfort zone. You're living and you, and that same stories keep being reiterated to you. There's no disruption in that. And the people that are really shocked about racism being such a, such a prominent system in the UK are those types of people, white liberal people or South Asian liberal people that just like to sit on the fence, you know, and I'm not sitting here saying that pointing my finger and saying that you're not doing enough, but I am saying that you're sitting on the fence and you're not doing anything. You're not actually doing anything, but just because you're okay at this moment in time does not mean that you are anti-racist and it doesn't mean that you've got, your own biases we know that like anti-blackness in south asian community is rife we know that we know like and and it links back to casteism again something that we don't like to talk about but we have to start having these conversations we need to start disrupting them but really understanding if we are really wanting to make a better society for everybody what does that really mean And from a parenting point of view, sometimes the best decision for your own child isn't the best decision for the most marginalized child. And again, it goes back to that giving something up. Like if you're, you're, um, and I think I mentioned this, it was something that stayed with me. Like my granddad back in, in the Punjab was, was a doctor and would serve and give medicine to the, the poor people that just didn't have the money Um, and I remember my mom saying something like when she was telling the stories about what they, what she'd heard from someone that, oh, sometimes they would, um, he would kind of not, well, not ignore, but like he would serve these people over and above his own children. And I just thought in that moment, I was like, yeah, because his children were all right. They were privileged. They had a better socioeconomic situation than some of these poor kids. And that is why it means 
that you embody this stuff and so when i look at like my own activism it, it directly comes from thing like from my granddad and probably before that as well because it is this it is this not being able to not do it and sometimes my own children will say and i'm like well at this moment in time they need me more than you need me yes and that's a really difficult thing as a parent but when we go back to attachment and even back to like maya like your children aren't possessions they are gifts and it's like we don't own them and we shouldn't be attached to them in that way that we are here to like teach them a path and that is a really important path that sometimes you have to put your own stuff to the side for to be of service for the bigger impact on your community and we have to be okay with things like that that doesn't mean that you're neglecting your children or you're not loving your children it means there's a higher purpose in that moment to serve and i think the the bigger picture is the powerful part of it is to, to see how you fit into the bigger picture and how your impact can be made because like you say if you get attached to your own fam i mean you're not saying that you don't look out for them but if you know that they're already in a privileged position you you still don't keep focusing on trying to create that privilege even more so when the rest of society is suffering or yeah. those other pe other people are not being helped um but you know it's a line that we as Sikhs say every day day in day out in all of our prayers and you know gurdwaras is nanak naam jardi kala tere paane sarbatapala which basically saying you know may in the the teachings that our gurus have given us that may there be you know goodness for the whole world basically sarbat dapala and that's the bigger picture isn't it it's mm -hmm. like if you if we're saying these words but then we're still focusing on our own little areas and helping our own people or our own families and focus is to give more privilege more privilege, more privilege more privilege mm -hmm. but not looking at the bigger picture and actually you know we're saying one thing on a daily basis, but our actions aren't doing that or looking at they're the aligned, bigger picture. They? Yeah, they're not aligned at all. They're not aligned, you know? And they're not aligned. Yeah, I, I often say to, you know, we're, we're, in, we're in a privileged position because we've now got a Gurdwara like locally to us with a really small community, which means that we can kind of impact things without it running through like 100 million committees and taking forever because we have a hand in that and um we've started up like me and my husband and a couple of others and we're still on our learning path so it's not like we're kind of made it and you know we're still learning but we're trying to teach the kids about how sicky fits into their day-to-day -day lives and something that i always say to them is you know this concept of longer that we talk about you know we've said about it for seva but it's like we take it for granted and i say to the children like every sunday look how we sit together look how we're sitting on the same ground with the same plates and i was like how many times does that happen really and honestly and i really want you to look at that from a spiritual point of view that how beautiful that really really is that this is what we're trying to do is we are trying to get rid of all the barriers, all of the disconnections and bring all of us together while we all thrive on this journey. But the only way that we can do that is coming from the equitable model is because if we are talking about equality, we are talking about giving everybody the same thing. Yes. And that's where we are failing because when we give everybody the same thing, some of us are already in a good position and um, I wrote a post about this at the start of COVID when that toilet roll thing happened, because it's like, you know, when you were only allowed, when everybody went like crazy about this yeah. toilet roll, but it's like, if, and I said, I, I, I told my children this, trying to explain it. If we are all allowed to, to buy two packets of toilet roll, mm. but one person has already got 50 stashed away. Yes. It means that that person gets 52 and that other person is still left with two. Mm. How is that equitable? It isn't, but that is a quality because we're saying, oh, we'll give it.
everybody two. We'll give everybody two. Why not taking into consideration of what their situation is already, mm. you know? And I think that's a great way to just visualize like 52 toilet rolls sitting in a storage thing where, where somebody's got two, you know? Yeah, and there's people out there. Vast inequalities of what we are facing in society. And we cannot, we cannot like just keep turning a blind eye. I, I can't, and I know like you can't either, because this is who we are. Like we have to support one another. And I'm not saying that it's going to be like over and like we're going to fix everything in one day, but this is a societal issue. But individually, we hold quite a lot of power ourselves yes. and the ripple effect of change is very subtle because we're having this conversation and I'm hopeful that these conversations will just make people stop and think about their own lives without judgment, yes. without like blame, but just in a reflective manner to just think about how and what they are drive, what is the driving force of their life. Like, what is it that makes you tick? Mm. And is there something you could do for others because of the positioning? And people say, I've worked really hard. You know, I've worked really hard to get to that job, to that position. And I'm not taking that away from you. But what gave you, what were the steps? Did you have to, t like, climb all of the steps to the ladder to get there? Or were some of them already, did, you know, were they climbed before you got there? So it's just about, and what, what do you want to teach your kids? What do we want to teach the next generation? Yeah. School teaches them about competitiveness, that if you're like this, then you're valued. And even again, the conditioning is so strong. My, my children, we have these conversations often regularly about there's a homeless person that um, sits outside of like the shops and you know, just having these conversations rather than turning a blind eye, but even opening up their minds to be like, well, we don't know anything about this person's story. And I used to work with um, people that were part of the judi judicial system in my own, like, other job previous to this. And the stories were so rich, you know, and it could be anybody that these things happen to when you start to learn about people's like PTSD or the fact that they were soldiers in the army and mm. they got addicted to drugs or, you know, and as a community, we have to bring people in. And I almost feel as though our community is, it judges who's coming in. Yes. And if you look a certain way and if you're, you, you know, you're almost a good person. And I'm like, mm. we, we have to start stripping some of that back and actually sit within reflection mode a lot and internally examine what it means to you to value somebody and who you're going to align yourself with, like align yourself with like-minded people. Because I know like sometimes people are like rolling their eyes, like here she goes again. And it's like, yeah, I am going to go again because this is who I am. But then I align myself with people that get it. Yes. And then there's more of us and that we're still pushing for, you know, and pushing back against the system. We're pushing back against the status quo. We are going to lose something for the greater good. And we have to stop being scared of losing out because it's all an illusion. We're not losing anything. What you're gaining through something like, like the basic concept of langar or seva or vanshakna, like these what do you get? You like, you know, you do receive something in return because you you have a spiritual growth from that. That is priceless. That is something that money can't buy, especially when it's coming organically and it's coming from within you. That you know, and that for me is at the top of my my list of how I want to move through my life. I you know, and again it there isn't any perfection in this. We just, it is that back and forth movement. It's almost like, it, yeah, it is just that back and forth movement. Every time there is like, well, which way do I go? You just sit within yourself and be like, right, so this is the way to go now, you know? Yes. There's a, I guess it's, 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 a, it's a difficult, it's a difficult notion 
for people to grasp. There's just so many, so many aspects to it, but it's the start of the journey of actually learning and understanding, you know, where you've come from, where you are and where you'd like to be, but taking the ownership of it and, and seeing the bigger picture. It's really been really powerful um, conversations actually. And I think for me, I'm, I'm, I'm learning a lot from this conversation myself. And I, I hope a lot, of, a lot of the listeners will be able to sort of resonate or reflect and see things from a different perspective and sort of start that journey that they need to take. Yeah. Um, you, you know, to be honest, it does feel like a one step forward, two steps back. Yeah. And let's just hold ourselves with compassion. Like, let's do that. Let's not do that reactionary thing that it's like A to Z in like 60 seconds. Mm. Society will tell us that we need to be fixed. And again, with racism, it's not going to get fixed. And if we do the tick box exercise by doing all the things that we've done before, it, we're not going to go anywhere. It is about getting to the root and the root is painful. Yeah. <laughs> the root is painful to take out. Like think about taking out a tree. That root is going to be tough to take out. But if we all come together and we start making these small changes, we start to understand the interconnectedness of all of the systems. And it's almost like a domino effect that you knock one over and you start to see the others revealing themselves. So the fight for economic justice is the fight for racial justice. Yes. The fight to get rid of the patriarchy is the fight for racial justice. And when we talk about intersectionality, these are the way, the conversations that we need to have, but not just learn the terminology and intellectualize the, the topic, because that's another thing people like to do. You know, we like to, we then build more hierarchies because we're in the know, we know the terminology. Yes. We know about white privilege now. We know about um, white supremacy or capitalism, patriarchy, all of these things, these buzzwords. And I really want people to get to the depth and understanding of what these mean, because these are people's lived realities. Yeah. These are systems and they are very, very complex. And I, I am still figuring stuff out and I'm learning things every day. And I feel lucky that I am part of, I'm blessed to be part of a faith that believes in us being students all the time, lifelong students as six yeah. to learn and be open to that learning by pushing your ego to one side. And that is it's tough. Like I'm learning um, Gurmukhi at, at, at this age now, because I've just never had the opportunity and I'm sitting in the class with my five-year-old. Yeah. And that is tough because I, I feel like I, and I'm judging myself, but when I hold myself with compassion and I'm like, I have not ever had these opportunities because of my own sets of circumstances and my own parents' struggles and privileges and all the rest of it. So when I hold myself with compassion, I can open myself up to learning. And that's what we need to do, especially as adults, because we become so judgmental. Like, why do we not know these things? A lot of these things we don't know because they were meant to remain oblivious to us. So things like racism and white supremacy were always meant to remain oblivious because the system keeps getting fed. And if we start to visualize, if we start to make it visible, this is why racism thrives is because of those people. They didn't put their knee on his neck, but they stood by. And I just want to like, like, encourage the listeners to think about how many times have they stood by how many times have they taken something that maybe somebody else could have taken putting like south asians talking about like you know anti-racism when a black person could do it better like on mainstream media is a way that south asians can step back and use their privilege yeah and amplify back black voices you know yes so it's, it is, it's nuanced and it's complicated and it's painful. But when we open ourselves to learning a wholeness, like the, a connectedness, a realness emerges. And to me, that is surely the driver of life. It's that constant learning journey to actually be that student 
is almost you always have to have space in the vessel, the vessel of knowledge mm-hmm. or, you know, that learning. There's always got to be a gap. There's always got to be a yearning to get better or understand things or evolve. And that sometimes means there may be generational things that have been that way. And you have to be bold enough to say, actually, that needs to change. Or, you know, this was done for such a time, but now it can't be done because of what I understand and take on board. So, yeah, I, I, I will resonate with that constant learning process. So one of the things I wanted to touch on was, I know you help corporate organizations as well. And I mentioned at the start of the episode, I mean, I, I work in the not-for-profit sector and, mm-hmm. you know, we, we were discussing a report, the racial diversity report that's came out recently and talking about having the lowest percentage of representation within the charity sector, about 9% of you know, the sector workforce comes from BAME background. And as you go into seniority, that gets even into uh, smaller percentages. And I can understand like the profitable sector, you know, the capitalism mindset to make money. Mm-hmm. And that's the key performance indicator. But here we're talking about, you know, a sector set up to actually service humanity, communities, which, mm-hmm. you know, there'll be a whole diverse range of the end users. And that would probably be made up of a disproportionate value of BAME. Um, mm. But the representation of people working within that sector is, it's like tiny. And yeah. I know you, we, you, we said that it wouldn't, it doesn't, doesn't come as a surprise to you, but I think for me, maybe, I don't know, being a bit in denial, maybe <laughs> working in that sector should have, not been a surprise but i think it's been a, a big wake-up call with everything that's been happening and the, the paper and the research has been timely and now mm. there's a big drive you know an organization called akiva association of Char- uh, chief executives for the voluntary organizations mm. have sort of made an eight principle approach for ceos to sign up to about how you know they take ownership of tackling this race issue um but, you know, like we spoke about society having a knee-jerk reaction, corporates would be having a knee-jerk reaction as well and want to do, and, and not wanting to make it a tick-box exercise or reviewing their policies or just recruiting a load of BAME you know, candidates uh, as employees into an unsafe environment like we mentioned earlier. Yeah. One of the initiatives that we did was have a, a safe space for people to talk about what's been happening. Um, and even that was, I think, you know, it was, it was not a large proportion of the workforce that attended that. Um, I can't probably tell, but I think it was probably made up of majority BAME, uh, members. Um, but you know, I think it's, it's a difficult thing. You can't, there's a, there's a number of layers to this, a lot of trauma, a lot of denial, that, you know, some people may be thinking, actually, you know, we're a charity, we have lovely EDI policies and all this fancy stuff. We talk about quality, respect, but actually, you know, there's a lot of incidents of racism that people have faced directly. Um, so through that, you know, that space, we uncovered these things, but it's very powerful to listen to people. But part of the journey is to start as an organization, learning and understanding what's going on and how people are going through this process. What I know it's a very difficult question, but how would you sort of tell corporates to deal with this? Because it's such a big thing. And actually it's a big thing because part of the people that are left to deal with this are senior leaders who may not fully understand the situation themselves because they're still trying to come to terms with, because they're going to be predominantly white as well, because the statistics are saying this. So they've got to understand what white privilege means to them. They've got to understand what it means to the black community, the community then systematicness and then the organization and then trying to change that which is a huge mammoth of a task so i guess any any advice for that then (laughs) would probably be helpful i think taking that into account just like you've said that this is a complex and multi-layered system and it is about taking yourself out of the situation but you know it's centering it's centering the marginalized bodies that are there 
if they want to engage in this, but it's also being able to descend to your ego because what does this mean for you? Are you willing to give something up? Because this system benefits you continually. And it always comes back to that question. Are you willing to give something up? But also, are you willing to invest in learning, real learning? And, you know, it, it's interesting because people want all of the advice and they want you to come in and do all of the stuff. And yes, that sounds amazing. And then they don't want to pay the price. Hmm. And it's something that happened in my previous roles as well when moving to Aberdeen that over and above my day job, I was also doing all of the anti-racism work, all of the policy writing, because it was just shambolic. And again, that higher instinct kicked in that actually I can't sit by and just let this happen. But it's not like anybody was giving me anything for that. And no recognition as well that actually this is somebody coming in and is taking us all on. We also have to understand what safe spaces mean and why the need, what, what is the need of these safe spaces? That people of colour have just never felt comfortable about speaking about racism, how they see it, and the disconnect between what white people see as racism and what people of colour and black people see as racism. That, that, that disconnection is huge. And it is about narrowing that gap by having real honest conversations, both individually, like again, self-interrogation, but also collectively. And this isn't, this is an investment on money, but it's also time and energy. Because like we said, if you're going to the root, it's going to be timely and um, there's going to be time constraints and there's going to be, it's going to be painful. But I think more than anything, corporations need to get away from the concept of even diversity, because that means bodies in rooms, faces on places kind of thing. It's again looking at what, why do we, why, why, why do we need this? Like, what, where does this come from? How have I got to this position? And it is sitting with this stuff. How have I got to this position when somebody else in another situation with another background has been struggling for years and they've never been promoted? It is asking your corporation, your board, why does it look like this? Being reflective in your practice that this isn't just a one-off training event, but this is something that you need to sit with and return to again and again and again if we are going to really have a diverse workforce and having an understanding again of what I'd said earlier, just about the wisdom and the creativity that comes out of bringing new perspectives into an organization. What does it mean to be inclusive? So although we will say, we say it everywhere that this place is welcome for everyone. And the parent council is a great example because they don't say that nobody should be there like everybody come along but we know the type of people that come along to those meetings you know they're usually the educated white middle class and i was actually quite surprised to see other two women of color that day mm. and when you again look at power and the dynamic between that and race and racism you start to understand where authority is constantly coming from it is always coming from that one perspective and it always benefits that one sector and marginalizes the other. So when we're even talking about these fancy words such as inclusivity, if we're not being intentional, we are potentially bringing more marginalized, more black and minority ethnic people into our organizations and they're not safe. And safe spaces, like, they're, they're necessary on so many levels to, to have the honest dialogue and to understand what people's real experiences are and what they want to change. And sometimes they don't know. And sometimes they don't want to engage. There's, you know, not everybody wants to engage in these conversations and they shouldn't be the representation or the represent, representative of all of their community yeah. just because they're the only person of color. Like, yes, we must step up, but you also must protect your energy. And if it doesn't feel like the right vibe for you to be in, then you need to remove yourself because you are then damaging your 
mental or physical health you know like these aren't easy easy questions these aren't easy things to be involved in and unless like you are really understanding that this is going to take time and you're willing to put in the time and energy yourself and that's coming from both places then it's going to be a tough ride ahead i just want corporations and organizations who want to do better to actually just do better yeah i was just going to say just can we stop just focusing on the bigger picture for a second and take it back just back back step all the way and be like what are we wanting to really achieve here if we are trying to put out an anti-racist policy for us to be look good for now, then that come, is coming from a completely performative point of view. But if we really want to make these changes, then you start to invest. And that means holding some really, really difficult conversations constantly. That's the key thing now. We've, we've had, and, 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 and like you say, you get, you could get caught up in the moment because you feel that society and the world is watching you and mm. seeing why you haven't made a statement. Mm. Um, and you almost feel you have to do that. And then all the statements sound pretty much similar. So it sounds like a vanilla approach because that's what yeah. everybody else is doing. But yeah, yeah. the fruit is in the actual action, isn't it? In in yeah. what you're doing. And I think doing a one-off course is just a tick box exercise because mm. how you how do you know that's made a difference what's the key outputs how to change the mindset you know it's got to be a constant journey because everybody's journey is different and i think the other thing is that about safe spaces is good to understand people's lived experiences and and how they feel about things but the reliance shouldn't be on that community to bring the results either yeah. because they didn't put those results in, they didn't put those systems in in the first place yeah. They were the they were subjected to those systems. So mm. I was just saying that, that there needs to be such a strong ownership from the top. And I think this is where sometimes organizations get it wrong. It doesn't have to be a top-down approach. Let's figure out what we need to do at the top. Actually, why can't we start from the ground and the top and meet in the middle? Yeah. You know, because it's the whole top-down approach is quite old school. Um the people that are affected are at the bottom and they use these last to be on you know the agenda to say right we, we need to change our top no maybe we need to do the both and then you meet in the middle and understand where each of you are and where you need to go it's again getting, yeah I, I agree it's again getting away from the power structures that keep us stuck so and it's having an understanding of what power you hold when so when you're in a meeting and you are even a manager it is understanding in that moment who is holding the power mm. and as a status you hold power automatically and it has to be a back and forth movement of you hold the power no you hold the power and if you really want to come together that is the way you do it and it has to we have to understand that it's a wheel and we're all a cog within the wheel and there's certain roles that all of us have to take to move forward collectively it can't be just one or two of us if you've got like 50 people and you've only got 20 people who are going to buy in to an anti-racism policy moving forward, it's just going to drop off the wayside. Mm. It is everybody. And we also have to understand that white supremacy and white whiteness in general, the dominance of it is negative for white people in a lot of ways as well, because the things that we then believe, so if you believe that you hold so much power, you then also believe that you can't learn anything else. Mm. You don't have an open mind to be like, well, actually that, that guy with the bug downstairs, he could maybe teach me a, a thing or two. It's actually having an open mind that's, yeah, it's not looking at you as a, I, only as a person of color, as a like sick representation, but it's like, okay, I wonder what that guy's got to say, or I wonder what that woman's got to say about this. And actually it's about, again, equity, isn't it? Yes. It's about bringing people in at all of the levels. And we keep perpetuating the same systems. So when we even look at status within um, society through this pandemic, we had words such as key workers 
when actually a lot of the people who were in key worker positions were not valued in society generally because of the roles that they held mm -hmm. because of their socioeconomic and class situations but all of a sudden when we needed them when we wanted to exploit them and we needed to get food and toilet roll we needed them and we classed them as key workers yeah. and do you see the power there and how how that makes you know how we continually build these hierarchies and i am talking about connecting back with humanity that's what it's about that yes we all hold roles but how we hold them is very very, very important with this work so if you can let go and it takes a big person to be like hang on a second let's collaborate on something because i don't have all the answers here you holding these conversations and we've said this before me and you after this conversation are going to be changed people because of the way that we are as people we want to be open-minded that actually it's a toing and froing that yes i've come on here as an expert in this thing but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to take anything away from this conversation because I am also going to have that open mind of, wow, I never thought of it like that. Or the way that he put that was, you know, and it's like, again, letting go of the attachment of ego and the things that make you feel good for those few seconds and actually being like, what is the bigger question here? Yeah. What is this really about? Like, why are, pe why are black people protesting? Why are brown and white people protesting through a pandemic this isn't just about taking a knee and all of the other things that some of our um politicians have come out with these are not empty gestures these are asking for something these are asking for change for humanity i totally agree so i think the key thing that we keep coming back to is is that learning and the educational piece or what i think a lot of people are going to start the journey with because they like you said it's a lifestyle change so we need to understand what are we what have we been consuming you know, literature wise you know on tv or news or etc etc so one of the key things i wanted to cover in this session was is there any recommended reading or resources or essential um, sources of information that you think would really help people to get more understanding about you know anti-racism privilege uh, colonialism capitalism and you know just to learn and reflect on their own journeys as well as what they need to do in their own organizations or where they work whether they have a business whether they're a teacher whether they're a parent just to enhance um, their knowledge in this area so they can then start working on that and start that journey really yeah i think you know it, like you said these are complex issues and i would encourage people to start somewhere like just start somewhere google's a great place to get resources because there's so many free resources and although i'm a business in this it's like start with your own reading so there's a lot of you need, you need to start learning about your history i would say and that's like british history so there's some great books out there that can just start you uh easy to kind of get your teeth into so the first one that i would probably recommend as a book read from a british perspective is rennie edo lodge's um why i'm no longer talking to white people about race because it's a i find it just hits on so many points and i know like there's been a surge in these kind of books sales yeah. of these kind of books in the last like few months yeah. but it's like when you read a book like that i would say to people again reading something and then actually taking it in are two different things read and reflect read and reflect you know, we have to then understand how this stuff is coming up for us because otherwise it's pointless by having the knowledge, we just intellectualize a subject without, and then we separate ourselves again from, well, that's not me. I don't do that. But it's like, okay, well, when do I, when do I do it? When have I done it? Or this concept that I've got about black women or black men, where does that come from? or darker skinned people in our own community. Where does those things come from? And it is starting to unravel. 
but it's also using your energy in a way you know i've heard lots of people saying we need to talk to our elders about this kind of stuff and it's like yes we need to disrupt them when they're being harmful mm. but having also holding it in a way that is this is part of their conditioning and their lack of education and their own trauma as well like this is stuff learned behavior that they haven't had the books and the experiences to acknowledge any of this yeah. so when they say stuff yes we must we must disrupt it but it's also having an understanding about why we're doing that like we're not just doing it for the sake of it another book is um akala's natives is is amazing because it gives you a, a again a black perspective but i also think from a sick point of view we need to start understanding our own our own history to bring this all together about who we were and um where we've come from and that there's some great books out there and i'm still on my own kind of journey but there's a great um video on basics of sikhi which is i'm, I'm sure it's called like british colonialism and sikhi it's on youtube and there i think there's more and more literature coming out from the Sikh community as well yeah so there's um empire of the sikhs the life and times of maharaja ranjit singh the British and the Sikhs by Gurinder Singh Mun. So there's there's stuff that I still want to read and I'm still continuing my own journey. And I'm sure like the listeners can kind of bring their own perspectives to this as well. But it's things like partition. How much do you know about partition and the trauma and how that had an effect on lots of our ancestors and where those where those decision making rules came from? Mm. Why that matters. You know, we, we, we talk about 1984 quite a lot, which again is something that is so prevalent and important to focus on. But it's about getting all of these pieces together and starting to understand about who you are and where, where you are now and how, how to move forward in your, in your own way. And, you know, we've all got, we've got to be honest, we've all got busy lives and we've got agendas and stuff, but it's like, you can find time for the things that matter so i would just say to people just start somewhere and when it comes to parenting it's not enough to just to, to say well my just child thinks that everybody's the same and that's great or they don't see color because they do see color everybody sees color and it, it's being active it is starting to get more diverse books for example that show the perspective of different children growing up yeah. refugees asylum seekers disabled people even you know it's it's all about these things these intersections of identity that they are going to come across and you need to expose them to yeah. and embodying that as part of your parenting that allow them to ask questions because the worst thing you can do is shut them down like when they've got questions and bring it back into their real life bring it up with pair other parents have the conversations and I've heard loads of people come to me and said like they're having really, you know, they've lost a lot of friendships and it's like, it, it, you know, you have, you have to grieve through those because it's difficult when you lose people that you like love and care about, but we have to understand that people need to take this work. It's so personal. Like I, I don't think it's any different from any kind of transformational work, but it's so personal that it, you have to be in the right zone. And if that person isn't aligned with where you're at, then it's just time to move on and holding space mm. for that. You know, we for, sometimes force ourselves. You hear that kind of thing, like, is it square peg, round hole type of thing? Yes, yeah. We force ourselves because like, you know, it's popular and it makes us feel something in that moment. But again, I always ask people to question themselves does this serve me now where I am right now? Is this friendship, this relationship, this job, this, whatever it is, is it serving me right now? And is there something that I can do about it? Because not everybody has the privilege to do something about it, but just start to see your privilege. Like don't make it invisible. That's the worst thing we can do. Start to see the racism. Do you think like it's, much easier when we think of business and strategy like it's quite clear-cut we decide we're doing this 
or it's aligned to what our vision is, what our objectives are. This no longer aligns to it, so we're moving away from it. But we do that in the corporate world, but it's difficult to do personally because of this expectation and that comfort or that success like we talked about earlier Um, and I think the key thing like you said was around children you know they love asking questions we shouldn't be intimidated by that because we should be open to say right if we don't know let's research together and I think that's so powerful isn't it because you're both you're learning with your children and you're humble enough to admit that you don't know something rather than just saying sorry don't don't ask that question because actually I don't know how to answer it. But it starts a learning journey, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's, again, looking at the power dynamics, something that I noticed in myself a lot because my, my children are getting older and they're getting, they're getting more attitude and lippy. And it's like that power dynamic of the dominant parent and the hierarchy that is within our own family, because I'm the parent, I will have the last word. I hold power over you. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to do that. And when I let go of ego and when I recognize that power dynamic, it can be that ping ponging of I've got the power, you've got the power. I, like we all want to be seen and we all want to hold power. Right. Yeah. And the beauty and a healthy relationship means that both of you hold the power when you're having a dialogue or conversation. So with my children, that obviously there'll be certain things where I'm just like, no, but we are starting to do more and I'm recognizing it more about, and I've kind of always done this because I want to be humble enough to learn from them because when it comes to presence, we talk about something called a beginner's mind. And it is the best way I can describe it is seeing the world through a child's eyes Yeah, because they see innocence and they see stuff that we forget as adults so they call it out yeah they do call it out but they also see the beauty because they're experiencing stuff for the first time that we've taken for granted yeah. so people like for example in india if you've never seen snow before amazing yes i remember um there was we we met this 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 really funny couple and there was a guy that had come from india into dundee and um, where we stay and he was telling us a story and he was such a great and that's it he was such a great storyteller but um he said when he first came over to the uk and it was summertime and um god it's making me laugh right now it was summertime the way he was telling the story and he was like he was on the phone to his like relatives back in india and he goes um it doesn't ever get dark here because you know, like British summertime basically mean, yeah. you know, in India it gets dark really early. And he was like, yeah. Oh my gosh, like it just never gets dark. And he was just <laughs> so amazed by this simple thing. Yeah. And like me and my husband spoke about it afterwards because then he also said that, um, Oh, in, in the UK, they like, they've got carpet. And he thought he was like living a life of luxury mm. because he had carpet. And I was like, this is what it was like back in the day when the power dynamic was more equal back in, you know, in the generations that I remember my parents saying, Oh, we bought a new sofa and we had a party. We bought a new TV and like everybody came around and you know, like that level of family and compassion and letting go of this capitalist mindset. It was only when people started to make more money, the power dynamic changed. And you know we're 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 part of that we're part of that system because they came from very very humble backgrounds they built stuff they built like pure empires but they kind of lost sight through survival of what it means to have spiritual connections with yourself but your own community as well like again how much are you letting letting go if you feel jealous about something if somebody's doing better than you lean in closer and be like, well, what is this really about? If somebody, you know, what, what is this telling you? Is it that person? Can you actually genuinely be happy for them? Because if you can't, there's usually some, it's usually something to do with you. Yeah. And you need to change something that rage and that anger and that jealousy and those kind of feelings don't push them away because society, but that it cuts you when like you've been trying to move towards something and somebody has almost got it. We don't know their story. 
it looks yeah. easy on the outside doesn't it exactly it's like the iceberg theory we just see what we see but we don't see all the challenge below that yep for sure yeah and it's a great way to look at privilege as well isn't it yeah all right so um i think we're probably running out of time now um uh, and i think it's one of those topics that we can talk for hours on because it's yeah. just so deep the deeper you go the more you've got to talk about so how can people connect with you and the work you're doing at the moment i know you said you have an instagram profile um, um is there, could you just tell us what what that account is and if there's any other social media platforms that you're on that's the that's the one that I use mostly just to speak about my work and promote. Um, I'm doing a lot of stuff. So my, my handle is rubbydeepgod underscore. Um, yeah, I'd love for people to connect with me there. I am striving to just build community over numbers, to be honest. Um, again, if you don't have a certain amount of followers or numbers or likes or whatever, it's almost as though you need to be devalued. And I just want people to start looking at some like intentionally going and looking for smaller accounts that are doing some amazing work. Mm. Um, I will always try and amplify other people doing great work because not all of us are projecting all of our energy onto one platform, if that makes sense. Yes. Again, Instagram and social media is all coming from like the algorithms and who gets to decide the algorithms again is coming from whiteness and a white lens. But yeah, I, I love connecting there. Um, I dip in and out of that platform because I can find that it's quite energy zapping and I like to protect my energy over, like, over and above anything else. So if it's not serving me in that moment, I won't post. I'm not, again, the capitalist mindset of post at this time and yeah. the algorithms will get you. It's all part of, oh, this is what you need to do. Hooking and you in, Hooking you into the system, isn't it? Yeah. It's hooking you in. It's addictive because you're like, oh, I need, and it, it makes the ego feel good because you're like, yes, more people. And it's like, great, more people. But it's like, can you concentrate on who you've got right now? Because having that many people in a room, like even having 100 people, 100 followers, 20 followers, having 20 followers that are really committed to what you're talking about is actually better than having 20,000 who are just there for the sake of it, you know? Definitely. So I'm there, but, um, and you know you can connect to through my link tree there through all my courses that are on Thinkific. Um, yes, yeah, so there's the free resource there as well um, called called Soulful Activism that anybody can like. I've just made it open, so actually anybody can um, download it. It says sisters, but Dara, you could download it and have a look. It's about. Um, I'll check that out. Yeah, no, check it out. Um, so yeah, I've I've written it as my black indigenous and sisters of color soulful activism a love note mm. and that's completely free once you um email just with an email registration yes um i've also got a newsletter that i am i've just put out my july newsletter actually i've been pretty bad at doing it but i'm i'm gonna be on it a bit more because i i love writing it's a great way for me to connect and for people who want to contemplate outside of the squares, because I almost feel as though social media projects a simplified notion of a really complex topic. Yes. So there's only so much you can write in like a box or whatever. Yeah. So I'm, I'm more keen about taking my writing in the future away. So I've got a newsletter and actually I'd like to point out that July newsletter has actually got a free template that you can download to send to your schools. Um, I obviously said, talked about at the start about my own situation with the education system and I'd kind of put a poll out and said would people like me to share what I'd written and people can adapt it so that's a free download this month as well for I think everybody should be contacting their schools and I've written it in a way that um, opens up the dialogue I hope that doesn't push people out of the conversation without finger pointing because I know that if you've never spoken about this stuff with your schools or nurseries, that it can be a really, really tricky topic. And yeah. what I've done is, um, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts, actually. What I've done is just opened up the conversation that let's, ha let's have a conversation. I'm new to this work as well, but I think we need to do something. So can we do da da da? And I've left it open so that people can personalize it to their own kind of needs. But it's a great way, you know, even when you are great at what you do and you can write a letter i think sometimes just having a foundational base like it it might not even be what you want to say to your school but it just gives you like a basis of okay this is what somebody's written 
Hmm. Starting point. Yeah, it's a starting point and to change it up to suit your own needs. But I think if nothing else, please write to your schools and just get the, the ball rolling. Like that's what I've called it. Like, let's get this ball rolling. Let's start to have the conversations. And whenever anybody says, what do I do? I'm like, do something. Yes. Do something. Do what's manageable for you in what you've got in the time available, but do it well. Whatever you do, do it well. It's like you know? the... Um... It's what we talked about, the whole concept of anti-racism and yeah. being active. Um, I mean, activism is about everybody doing a little bit rather than people depending on a few people to do everything. Yeah, That concept doesn't work because you're always waiting for that one person to come and revolutionize the whole world. Whereas actually it's, it's part of all of our responsibilities to do our part. Yeah. However, whatever we think that part is, then that yeah. doesn't have to be that has to be personal to you as well to know that how you want to make that impact. You know, yeah. it, it's up to you. You can take ownership of that. Um, but it is a powerful contribution regardless of how small you may think it is because um, it is a contribution at the end of the day. It, it has to sit right with you. You know, we've talked about integrity a lot and it has to sit right with you because this is, di this is difficult work. But if we keep relying on people like me to step up, then the change is going to be a lot slower and then we can't moan and say that or oh, why are we still sitting here in 2020 having these conversations because we're always reliant on individuals and it's the very reason that i started up on this work because it was like well who am i waiting for who am i actually waiting for to make these changes like i need to stand up and be that change i need to show my children that this is not okay i don't want their children to be having these conversations but then that means I need a buy-in from everybody. Like I am taking this role. I'm in a privileged position to take this role on, but I need the buy-in from all of our community to step up and be like, no, this is, this is our shared issue. This is shared responsibility, shared accountability. Yes. And you have, again, go back to that wheel. What, what cog are you in that wheel? Like we don't all have the same role. Not, not, you know, you're not there doing what I'm doing, but I'm not doing what you're doing. So it's like, just do what you can, but do something and You're playing a part in that will play a part in the bigger picture for collective movement. Like that's the only way. And there's power in numbers, isn't there? If there's more of us saying this stuff, then it's harder to ignore. But if you don't feel comfortable yourself, then you need to ask yourself why, like what, what are you really, really scared of? If you write to your school, for example, what are you actually really scared, like scared of? Like where does that fear come from? And like, again, lean in closer. Where does that fear come from? Where does it derive from? What is the root of that fear? Yeah. So I think the other thing I wanted to touch on is actually how can corporates get in contact with you if they want to help to start this journey of understanding from a corporate perspective to make that change and to play their part? Yeah, at the moment, it would just be my um, email address, which is deeprowcore at gmail.com. Um, I'm working on a website, but it's just like, again, the calling of doing the work um, just was more important to me. Like I could have the fancy website and everything and not have any content. But when these things come, it just felt like, right, this is the time to just push, put it out there into the world. So that stuff will come. But um, anything that I do is always tailor made to that corporation. So I don't have a one fee and I'll fix it overnight. I'm very clear on, I will tailor make it for your corporation so that you are embodying anti-racism practices in, in your work life and in your personal life as well. But this is a deep investment. It's not something that we, we do once and then that's it. You know, it's, it's about a constant reflection of the whole of this, this, the hierarchy and systems within your organization, like what is working and what isn't. And it, it's about looking at short-term and long-term goals as well. That in the short-term, what do you want? But in the long-term, what are you really looking for and why? Why are these things that you haven't looked at before? And, you know, do you really want this? Because, yeah. you know, we can say the things, but actually wanting to move towards some of this stuff is um, it's, it's, it's hard work. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be... <laughs> this is it. I don't think we could shy away from that. It's very no. difficult it's going to be a difficult journey it's going to be painful um it's going to require a lot of effort and energy um and i think organizations individuals 
we're just gonna have to we're gonna have to be very persistent and committed to to seeing this through really to actually see the fruits of the labor um you know actually see the change that we want to see yeah. and actually have a vision in the first place as well yeah and we need to understand that we're sowing seeds but that doesn't mean that we're going to see like you said when we might not see the fruition yeah. yeah we might not ourselves but we're hopeful for the next generations and why do we continue because harm keeps continuing like why are people doing this because it is continuing and we have to be a part of that change we have to step up so whether that is you you know protesting at a black lives matter march or it is sitting here doing a podcast to like bring these kind of concepts into the community it is part and parcel of the same conversation, isn't it? It's part and parcel of the action and the activism. It's just how we view it and what our roles are and what we're called to do in that moment. And we shouldn't be policing one another about what we are and aren't doing because that's just a waste of energy. But it's something that you'd kind of touched on before is if we are going to be persistent with this, we have to share the load because it is, it, it, it is tough work, it is hard, and it takes a lot away from you. None of this is energy neutral, you know? Even after this, like both of us are gonna feel like, absolutely exhausted because mm. of like, we've, we've touched on concepts that are so personal yeah. and they relate to us in different ways. And then we're gonna go back and be like, how can I do better? And, and that, that takes time and you need to refill yourself up. But if you're, for, for example, one person in an organization who's expected to constantly pull up, that takes energy away from you. And you have to make sure that you're topping up on that energy. And then you want the white ally or the light skinned person to step up for you as well. Especially if you're a black person dealing with this stuff now. Like, yeah. How can we share the load? How do we redistribute so that the burden is not always on one person or a collective, even a community? It's not on the black community. It really isn't. This is, yeah. this is on all of us. Exactly. The sooner we see that, the sooner we move towards humanity. That's what we're talking about, humility here. We're talking about just letting people have the same, the same opportunities. Yeah, and that's and, you, and I think you know that in the simplicity of it is it, isn't it? A better mm -hmm. world, full of opportunities for everybody. Yeah, yeah. And, and getting equity. Yeah, Ravidip Gore has been it's been an absolute pleasure, and um, I really appreciate you taking time out. I know you're really busy, um, not just with work but with family as well. Um, so I really appreciated you being on the episode and you know openly talking about your experiences and you know all of the work that you've been doing and acknowledging the reality of how you know how difficult this journey is because it's so multi-layered multifaceted you know there's there's so much bent up trauma systematic issues but you know we have to always think of the positive that you know we want to make a better society for you know the future generations and to have you know to, to, to start sowing those seeds of change um so yeah it's been an absolute pleasure and i'd love to have you on the podcast in future because i think there's so many different types of topics that we could talk about um in other areas that you that you work in as well as well as uh, more themes in in the race racism area but um yeah, I, just, I hope you've enjoyed being on the podcast as well. Yeah, honestly, it's been like, it's just even just connecting with like-minded souls. It just brings, it just fills me up. Like, honestly, because people who are open to these conversations, that that's where we see change. And I will always, always be here for the like community. Like I, that my love lies there. And I just want to make it really clear as well that although I do anti-racism work and I work with white corporations and white people, it is for the beneficial like the beneficiaries are the community like that is at the center of my work it is for people of color it is for black people and indigenous people because we aren't represented represented in all aspects of life and that's where i position myself but i understand that anti-racism has to be part of my work as i move through because it is the quickest way 
to get to benefit the community because I know it's the biggest thing that is is our pushback is yeah. the thing that we're pushing against and fighting against so just you know to center our voices and our experiences and I just hope that me doing this um just allows people to just step in and see a different perspective and the fact that I'm not sitting here saying that it's I've, I've tied a bow on it but that I'm, I have very real pushbacks as well and um just just thank you for such a a, a beautiful conversation and um, I hope your in- listeners enjoy it yeah I hope so too I think they will um there's a lot I think there's a lot in here for uh, that will resonate with a lot of people and at least start the journey uh, of learning or unlearning um as we talked about you know all the resources we talked about i'll put into the episode details so people know how they can connect with you uh, we'll put in those books and recommendations that you gave um, to get more information and start that journey of learning and um yeah no it's been an absolute pleasure and i, I wish you all the best with um the work that you're doing I'll, I'll no doubt continue supporting all the work that you do and um uh, i hope that's vice versa as well yeah absolutely thank you so much it's been amazing thank you right. take care see you bye. soon bye thank you for listening to the seek coach podcast if you found this episode valuable do share with your friends and family and do give us feedback you can email us at theseekcoach at gmail.com or Find us on Facebook, just search The Seek Coach Podcast and follow us on Instagram at The Seek Coach. Thank you for listening. Stay blessed.